Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church once again, and we're looking at our Sunday School lesson for February 25th of 2024. Title of this is God Sees and Intervenes. God Sees and Intervenes. Have you ever um, read in the Bible where it talks about Jehovah Jireh? Or maybe you've uh, heard a preacher talk about that, or you have maybe sung a song about it, Yahweh Yira is the way it should be in Hebrew, but we say Jehovah Jireh, and we say God will provide. Did you know that part, the, the Jireh, the Yira part, actually uh, doesn't say provide in Hebrew. It says God sees, God sees. Now, it fits, and it's translated provide, because um, whenever we uh, may tell somebody, this is what I want today, now see that it gets done. Well, we're not actually telling them to use their eyes to see it. We're telling them to make sure that it gets done, right? And in the same way, whatever is going on in your life, the God who provides for all of your needs, Jehovah Jireh, is the one who sees to that need and everything that it requires. And here's the good news. He sees it in advance so that it is ready for you when you actually need it. And that's the idea of everything. And we're going to find in here in, um, again, the book of Genesis. And as we go to the 16th chapter, and we'll pick up in verse 7 where we left off from last week. Last week we know that um, Hagar got a little, it's kind of funny to say with her being pregnant, a little big for her britches, I guess. And uh, please don't hit me. And so uh, what happens, Sarah gets jealous and gets upset, goes to Abram and said, this is all your fault. You ever heard anything like that, guys? This is all your fault. And then Abram kind of does the, the passive, peace at any price, uh, enslaved male thing. And he goes, oh, it's sitting on me. You do with her. She's your servant. You do with her whatever uh, you want. Now, before he had sexual relations, he wanted to make sure everything was done right and that Hagar would become one of his wives. That was going to make this okay, so to speak. But now when he has got trouble and Sarai apparently could make things pretty miserable for people because she did for Hagar, then all of a sudden, uh, she's your servant. She's your servant. This is your fault. No, she's your servant. Do what you will. And Sarai is very harsh toward Hagar. And so we found at the last part of our uh, lesson last week that she fled. She's a runaway slave, in other words, at this particular point. Now, one of the things that struck me as I read this scripture is, and I'll say this in advance, did you notice they didn't send out a search party for Hagar? Uh, when we think about slavery and runaway slaves, we think back to our own country's sordid past. And when somebody would, uh, a slave would run away, they would go after him. They had slave hunters to go try to find them. They had dogs and uh, they would put up posters and things like that. They even had the Fugitive Slave Act that was passed by Congress that a slave had to be returned to its master. They did everything they could to restore their property. You'll notice as we read this, not a word is said about anybody going to look for Hagar. I'll talk about what I think that means in just a little bit. So um, join with me now. And remember that Hagar was a participant 
in the attempt to give Abram an heir. And we have no idea whether she was willing uh, as a participant or not. Now, when we say that, she didn't have a choice. That's real clear. But she may have been fine with it. Or she may have protested. I don't know. We have no idea on all of this. But it was customary for a wife to do what Sarai did, although custom is not the standard for what is right. Okay? If everybody else is doing it, remember what your mama told you? Well, what if everybody else jumped off a cliff? Would you do the same thing? And that's kind of what we see here. Just because it was customary didn't mean it was right, and it certainly wasn't. So she's promoted from being Sarai's slave to becoming one of Abraham's wives, according to Genesis 16, verse 3. And she used her newfound status and her pregnancy to shame, I guess that's a good word we could say, or despise, Sarai. And so uh, when trouble comes and Sarai confronts Abram, Abram demoted Hagar back to servitude, and then Sarah treats her harshly. And we don't really know what Sarai did. It just says harshly, and that's a pretty strong, pretty severe word. And it was enough so that Hagar, who had been with Sarai for some time, she runs away. And as usual, God has a different plan than any of them. And he sees Hagar's desperation and he intervenes. Kind of like he did for us when we got saved. Saw our desperate state, he intervened. And God promises that the baby will be born. He'll be named Ishmael, which means God hears. And he will be a great race of people. In fact, Ishmael is the ancestor of the Arabic people. And Ishmael and the Arabs are a constant reminder to this day of this story. And we see both the sin and we also see the mercy of God. So every time you hear of a Jewish-Arabic conflict, or even conflict between uh, Arabic uh, Arabs and uh, the U.S. in terrorism or something like that, think of Genesis chapter 16. Now let's look at verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her, meaning Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself Uh, under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants. That sounds like what God said to Abram, doesn't it? I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. More than you can count. Verse 11. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. Verse 12. He shall be a wild man. Some translations say, in fact, a lot of them say, uh, like a wild donkey in here. And his hand shall be against every man. He's antagonistic. And every man's hand shall be against him. He's not going to get along with much of anybody. 
and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And then she called the name uh, of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. Remember what we said earlier? For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Be'er of Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Beret. Okay? So Hagar bore Abram a son, verse 15 says, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael, just like God said. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Well, the plot thickens, doesn't it? And so uh, Hagar has decided, I'm leaving, I'm out of here. She runs. And so number one, notice that sin has consequences that cannot be simply swept away. Now, I get this from verse 7. The angel of the Lord uh, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by a spring on the way to Shur. Shur is on the way to Egypt. She was going back home. She was running away from this stuff in the promised land. She was going back to her people in Egypt. And so he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? As if he didn't know. Reminds me of when the Lord came into the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And he goes, Adam, where are you? As if he didn't know. And then when Adam said, well, I'm over here hiding. Oh, really? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? As if he didn't know. Like a good attorney, God never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to, right? And so uh, Sarai tells uh, the angel of the Lord the whole sordid story. And he says, go back, return, and submit to her hand. Now, what is going on here? And why did I say, isn't it interesting that there doesn't seem to be any attempt to find this maid? And I think that when Hagar ran away, Sarai probably said, good riddance. Whew, glad to have her gone. Now I don't have to look at her pregnant belly. Now I don't have to think about what happened. I don't have to think about what my husband did. I don't have to think about what she is doing that I couldn't do. I don't have to think about my inadequacy. Just, whew, it's gone. And Abram has already kind of washed his hands of it. Hey, she's not my wife. She's your maid. Take her and do whatever seems to be right with you. And Sarai is harsh enough to her that she runs off. And Abraham's probably thinking, okay, now at least I may not have a son, but at least I don't have to put up with Sarai being hacked off all the time and uh, just sweep the whole thing away. Should we go look for her, master? One of the servants might have said, no, just let her go. It'll be okay, just let her go. And like so many other times we find God's people, when they sin, they don't want to own up to it, they don't want to take responsibility for it, they don't even want to admit it, just sweep it under the rug. Jonah, when he was on the ship to Tarshish, and uh, the sailors were terrified by the storm that had come up, Jonah said, just toss me overboard and everything will be fine. He expected to die by being tossed overboard, didn't he? And it's almost, he said, I will kill myself before I'll ever go to Nineveh. Well, God had other plans. And the same thing is true 
in this particular story too. It's foolish to think that you can sin and then just do away with the consequences and Abram and Sarah are going to reap what they sow. Now Hagar is running away to escape cruelty. She's oppressed here and Sarai probably is thinking good problem solved and maybe the, at the root of her cruelty her harshness was the hope that she would leave maybe this is not something that Sarai was surprised by maybe it was set up by her and God says to all of them not so fast kind of like Lee Corso and he tells Hagar to go back to Sarai you're going to have to live with this Sarai and Abraham you're going to have to be a part of this. You're going to see the pregnancy. You're going to see the birth. You're going to be around the woman that does this. And uh, that's going to be part of the learning process and the correction and all of that. And this is a constant reminder of their folly. God wants them to learn their lesson. And so Hagar, as we said before, is on her way back to Egypt, which brings up point number two. Ishmael's name has both meaning and memory. I mean, this kid is, every time he cries, what do you think Sarai is going to think of? Every time he cries, what do you think Abram is going to think of? All of this is going to stir up the memory, but there's also a meaning to all of this in verses 10 and 11. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants. Now, how can an angel do that? This must be a special angel. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord that's a reference to Jesus. This is Christ. This is God speaking to her before he came to um, uh, a virgin's womb. Okay? This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. A theophany, a Christophany, some people call it. And he says, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they, shall, uh, they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Now look at this. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Well, what's the meaning of the name Ishmael? God hears. God hears. So once again, we see here that the angel of the Lord uh, seems to promise things that only God can give. And he can do that because he is God, of course. And the promise is similar but not the same as the promise to Abram. And Ishmael means God hears. And so Hagar's harsh treatment by Sarai has not gone unobserved by God. He heard them. And we think about how many times we read in the scripture that the Lord heard. Psalm 16, he heard my prayer. Uh, we find in the book of Exodus, he heard the groaning of the children of Israel in Egypt, that type of thing. He is near to the brokenhearted, we find out. And so her desperation in the wilderness was seen and it was addressed by God and by God himself. Now she may have been a cast out by Abram and Sarai. She may have had them say uh, good riddance and just uh, forget about her. We'll never bring this up again, maybe Sarai said to Abram. But God said, no, I hear and I pay attention. And it's a reminder to us that when the world may not pay attention to us, others may reject us. Even our own earthly family may not care about us. People may despise us. 
People may be cruel to us. People may be used to us. But here's the great thing. We're reminded here that God hears. And so Ishmael is a memory. Every time they see him, every time he cries, and even as he grows up and becomes a teenager before Isaac is born, the memory of this situation comes up. But there's also a meaning God hears. Now, that meaning would be precious to Hagar. God hears. He heard your weeping. He heard your cries. He heard your distress. But it also should be something that is a reminder to Abram and Sarai, don't do things your own way. Don't do things in your own strength. God doesn't need your help because God hears your prayer and he hears your cry for an heir and he is going to give you one, but he's not going to do it in Ishmael. He's going to do it in Isaac, as you know. So number three, a prophecy about Ishmael and his descendants. He will be a wild man and his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Let me read it out of the Amplified Bible. He, Ishmael, will be like a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against every man continually fighting, and every man's hand against him. And he will dwell in defiance of all his brothers. Well, Ishmael's life, we find here, will be one of antagonism toward everyone. Not, not just Abram and not just uh, Isaac, but everyone. Nobody gets along with this guy and vice versa. They don't really like him much either. Now, if you will look and think about what you know and what you see about the Arabic races today and the Arabic nations today, doesn't that kind of ring true? Every once in a while they may make some alliances, but they always have a tendency to break them. They're always looking for war. They always want power. They always want to be aggressive in everything that they do. And uh, notice it's with few exceptions, with few exceptions. It tells us here that he will be fiercely independent. It says he's like a wild donkey that can't be tamed. And it uh, says that he is going to live in defiance of his brothers. He had brothers? Well, most people forget that Abram had Ishmael and he had Isaac. And then Sarah died and he married a woman named Keturah. And he had children with her as well. So it is true. Father Abraham did have many sons, right? And uh, Ishmael is going to particularly antagonize Isaac and his descendants, the Jews. And to this day, we have conflict between Ishmael's descendants and Isaac's descendants, don't we? And Ishmael's descendants are the pre-Islamic Arabs. Some people read into this and say that's how Muslims are. Uh, the Muslim religion didn't come along until, if I'm remembering right, about 600 years after Christ. So it's not even around the Arabs or pagans like everybody else at this particular point. So that's before terrorism or jihad or uh, any of those kind of things, right? And number four, Hagar comes to know the Lord. Now this poor Egyptian slave who has been so used, and might we even say 
abused. Well, how could a Christian do that? Well, sometimes you can find out that Christians can be as mean as anybody, sometimes even worse than lost people. That's why there are so many commands in the Bible that we're not supposed to lie, that we're to follow. Remember the golden rule? That's written in the New Testament. And we are to be kind and tender-hearted, and we are to do all of those things. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love doesn't behave itself unseemly or rudely. In other words, love uses good manners. We uh, treat other people the way we want to be treated, those kind of things. Why does the Bible have to tell us that? Because some of the cruelest people you'll ever find can be Christians. Not all of them, and thankfully not most of them, but sometimes it does kind of pop up. If it never happened, and if a Christian couldn't act that way, why would we ever have to be commanded not to, right? We're commanded not to because it, it comes up. And uh, this is what Sarai did to um, Hagar. And Hagar, in all of this, probably was thinking, this is not the mistress, the master, that I was used to. I get the idea that they probably got along pretty well before um, Abram got her pregnant and before the pregnancy uh, began to be shown. I've got a feeling that Hagar, as she looks at all of this, she's thinking when she looks at Sarai, you're so cruel. It's as if I just don't even know you. And maybe she had high regard for Abram over the years. Maybe he was good to her. Maybe he was a good master of the household. Maybe he saw the way that Abram treated Sarai. And uh, maybe he, she looked at that and maybe even admired it. Now she looks and she goes, that's not the man that I knew. That's not the woman that I knew. Well, here's something great. People fail you, but God never does, right? People are going to do things that disappoint you, that displease you, and sometimes will be flat out cruel to you, but God never does. And in fact, we find here that it's God who sees us when we are in our distress. In Psalm 51, David, in his psalm of confession, he says, A broken heart you will not despise. Now remember what despise means? It means to overlook or to take lightly. In other words, broken hearts get the attention of Almighty God. And they certainly did here. And while Abram and Sarah were probably the people that Hagar said, I don't even know these people. Who in the world can they be? God says, I've got good news for you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And it says in verse 13, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. Isn't that great? God didn't look down and say, oh, you're just an Egyptian. God didn't look down at her and say, well, you're not even a free person. You're, you're a slave. Why should I have anything to do with you? And I don't really care all that much about your kid either. He's going to be nothing but trouble. Isn't that what's prophesied? But he didn't. The Lord was kind to her, and the Lord came to her, and the Lord spoke to her, and the Lord prophesied to her. And it's interesting... Um, she gives a play on words here after she says, uh, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees, for she said, look at the play on words, have I also here seen him 
who sees me. Well, that's kind of scary. We find that so many times, as we uh, said a few lessons ago, when God reveals himself, there's fear because we see our sin against his perfection. Adam ran and hid and tried to cover himself up with fig leaves, right? We find Isaiah, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. What's his response? Woe is me, right? We find Peter that when he first realized who Christ was on the boat with the catching of the fish, he falls down on his face and says, depart from me. Why? For I am a sinful man, terrified in all of that. And so when uh, Hagar uh, says these words here that are recorded for us, this is not the kind of thing to where she goes, uh, wow, how cool, how awesome is this? Man, I'm going to tell everybody about this. I get the idea she's terrified. I've seen the Lord who sees me. That's a big, big, big deal to think about that. Who's Hagar? A nobody. She doesn't even really factor into the uh, promise and the blessing of God. Her child's going to be the crazy one. Her child's going to be the father of the one who is antagonistic to all of the Jews. And yet God cares for her. I've seen the one who sees me. In other words, she comes to know the Lord. I'm sure she had seen Abram worshiping God and Sarai worshiping God before, but I don't think she knew him. I think she followed the gods and the practices and the religion of her Egyptian culture and heritage. But now when she's in her most desperate situation, when it's a matter of life and death, God comes to her and God prophesies over her, and God tells her what she is supposed to do and commands her, and she obeys. That's the mark of conversion, isn't it? You obey God. And then she says, this is the God who sees. And then as if she is saying, oh my goodness, have I seen the God who actually has seen me? This is really frightening to a person like her. And therefore the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy. And uh, observe it is between Kadesh. Uh, Kadesh. That uh, Kadesh is, uh, forms a lot of things in the uh, Old Testament, by the way, with the children of Israel. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, surprise, the same thing God said he would, because that's always the case. And Abram was 86 years old, when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So um, Hagar is treating this angel like God, and the angel doesn't correct her. This is why I think it was Christ. If you look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 9, there's an angel there speaking to the apostle John, the apostle John, the beloved disciple. And John falls on his face before the angel and the angel immediately says, Stop that. Get up. Get up. Don't worship me. I'm not God. Worship only God. Now, is there any reason to believe that when Hagar says all of this and the way she responds to the angel of the Lord, that if the angel of the Lord were not God, he probably would have said, Stop that. Don't worship me. Don't call me that. That is reserved for God. But... He didn't. Why? Because this is the angel of the Lord. This is Christ. This is God 
And so he accepts her worship. And God saw her in her extreme need, and then he reveals himself to her. She never would have found him. It wasn't that she called out on God and he came. God came, and then she began to say things about him. And the return of Hagar was a reminder and a rebuke to Abram and Sarah, but at the same time it was evidence that Hagar had been converted. And so she marveled that she had been noticed by God and that God appeared to her. Have I also seen him who sees me? That's really beautiful when you think about it. And anytime Ishmael, anytime anybody said, Ishmael, time for lunch. Whenever that word Ishmael was said, you know what everybody heard? God hears, come for lunch. God hears, it's time to go to bed. All of that was a very literal word. And it was a constant reminder of the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. They all heard the words, God hears. So Hagar and Ishmael, as we conclude, were spared by God's intervention. And Abram and Sarai are troubled by this as a result of their lack of faith. The tension caused by this continues even to this day. The Arab-Israeli conflict. And what are the roots of all of that? A lack of faith. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Always remember that. And remember that the antidote to that is not, I must have more faith, I must have more faith. You do need more faith. We all do. And we want our faith to grow. But the only way our faith grows is not by us conjuring up and holding on and making something happen. It's when we get to know God like Hagar did. And when we simply trust in childlike faith that God is my Father, God loves me, God is with me, God has a plan for me and He orders my steps and He will provide everything that I need and fulfill every promise He has ever made because He indeed is a faithful God. Isn't that great to know? So cast all your cares upon Him for He cares for you. Don't worry about anything but in everything give thanks, the Apostle Paul said, because we serve a God who will never fail and never let us down. Let that, let that sink in. And after you get through watching this lesson or listening to it as the case may be, just meditate on that. God is a faithful God. Well, thank you for your time. May the Lord bless you teachers as you present this because this certainly is something we need to hear and we need to apply. May God add blessing to the reading of His Word in the lives of all of your class members. And for those of you who are watching this as you do so faithfully to keep up with your class, may the Lord bless you as well. God is faithful. Thank you for your time.